All right, um, so we're going to go ahead and get started today. So thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. Uh, this is our last look at uh, the small catechism as we get to the final topic covered in the small catechism, which is the Lord's Supper. And uh, so thank you again for joining us. If you're uh, watching this via YouTube and you haven't yet subscribed to our channel, uh, Blanket Commercial, sorry about this, but if you do subscribe, that helps us. Um, it helps us reach you with these videos so you don't miss a thing. And it also helps us uh, creep a little bit closer to 100 subscribers, um, which allows us to get a custom URL, which means that we can make it something like youtube.com backslash goodshepherd.info as opposed to youtube.com backslash pound sign exclamation point in 31924. You get it. It's just a lot. So we can make it easier to share uh, and that makes it easier to get the word out. So subscribing, bottom line, helps to get the word out. Same with the podcast. If you're listening to this uh, via podcast, uh, we encourage you to do the same there. So we're going to cover a number of topics that um, surround the Lord's Supper and we're going to try to get through them as much as we can. Um, there's a lot to say here about communion and there's a lot of questions. So um, as we're getting started, I'm going to kind of introduce the lesson, but again, check in if you're watching this um, and say hello. Uh, and so uh, you can, yeah, Dan, there's so much happening here right now. <laughs> and so, um, so say hello, check into the comments section. Um, and I've got my eye on that. If you have any questions along the way, um, please ask those and I'll just try to confuse you further. Uh, you can also do that again over the podcast. I do check that. Um, uh, after the podcast is released, I do kind of look back there and see if anybody has posted any comments. You can uh, post comments in the bottom of the podcast page. So uh, lots of different ways to interact as we get going. Um, and so anyhow, uh, let's jump in. The Lord's Supper. So there's a few things here that we're going to try and get at. Uh, and we'll do our best. One is we're going to do a fast tour of the different views surrounding the Lord's Supper and just the lightest splash of history surrounding them. And I mean very light because I have a small brain and I only know so much. Um, but also getting into the history of the Lord's Supper is a gigantic topic, um, much more than what we could possibly hope to achieve here. So uh, I'll give you some history, uh, but only just a little bit. <laughs> and uh, then we also have... Um, uh, a couple questions. You know, the real presence, the Lutheran Church teaches uh, that Jesus is actually present in the Lord's Supper. And how is he present? How does that work? What was, what, you know, what are we thinking when we say those words? We'll get into that because that's a big question too. A lot of debate also focuses around Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to talk about what it means to remember Jesus as we come forward. We'll talk about closed communion, why it is that we insist on having people instructed in the Christian faith, not just the Lord's Supper, but, but the Christian faith before they come forward to receive communion. And then also, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah, preparing ourselves for communion and being certain that we can receive communion, knowing that communion is for you or for me. And so, again, a lot of different ground that we're going to cover. Uh, fortunately, um, you have me as your guide, so it's not going to be that intellectual. I can't do that with my brain. So, anyway, uh, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to get started here and just sort of talk about the Lord's Supper uh, from a couple different perspectives. There are four big views on the Lord's Supper, and that is the uh, Catholic view, 
that is the uh, Lutheran view. There's also the, um, it's more of a kind of a Baptist view. Um, uh, and then also there's the Reformed view. So uh, each of these different movements really have a big personality behind them, with the exception of the uh, Catholic view of transubstantiation. And I'm not sure exactly um, the roots of that, to be honest with you. Uh, again, I told you just the lightest splash of history, and I meant light. Um, I believe it is something that is developed over time in the church, although there are probably people that could better educate me uh, and you on that subject. Uh, but as far as I know, there isn't a big personality behind the Catholic view, which I already stated is transubstantiation. When we look at the Lord's Supper uh, from the Catholic perspective, uh, the belief there is that the um, bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus, that, that after the words are spoken, the words of institution, uh, which are the words that Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed as he blessed the bread and wine. Um, and so uh, he said that this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So those are the words of institution. And when those are spoken um, at the altar over the bread and over the wine, then it's no longer bread. It's the body of Jesus. And the wine is no longer wine. It is the blood of Jesus. The other view, I'm going to save the Lutheran one for last, is uh, what's probably more associated with the Baptist view, although um, the Reformed and Baptist view will kind of intermingle in places um, as you just kind of get out and talk to people about the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so anyhow, the, uh, this view goes back to a Reformer named Zwingli, who did once um, uh, stand with Luther, but... Uh, his reforms were more radical than what Luther wanted to do, and ultimately there was um, a split there. So Zwingli taught that um, uh, that the real presence, or that, that Jesus actually isn't present um, at the Lord's Supper. Um, it is not a re-sacrifice. Jesus uh, died on the cross, and that was a once and for all sacrifice. And so uh, this bread and wine is merely um, a memorial meal. Um, when we come forward, it's an exercise in remembering uh, Jesus' body and blood. And then finally also, uh, there is uh, the, uh, the Calvinist view, uh, which is held by many Reformed churches. So uh, you'll find this uh, in Presbyterian and uh, Anglican places. And again, some, you, you will find it in Baptist churches as well. Um, and so there's not exactly um, straight lines that we can really draw with this, with these beliefs always. Uh, but this was uh, this was formed by John Calvin, and interestingly enough, this this view um, uh, was the one thing that really kept Luther and John Calvin from coming together, um, and a lot of people mourn that. And um, I'm not quite sure how to feel about that. It would have been certainly interesting, um, an interesting scenario if John Calvin and Luther, um, both of these titanic reformers, actually came in agreement. I mean, who knows what the church would look like um, now? Um, my guess is we would have found another reason to split. We tend to do that later on. So maybe I'm just being pessimistic. But anyhow, um, John Calvin's view uh, is that uh, Jesus is not physically present at the Lord's Supper, but he is spiritually present at the Lord's Supper. And that coming forward to receive uh, the bread and wine is a participation um, 
in being uh, in, in the body of Christ, that we are coming forward. Um, and as we come to forward, it's, it's come forward. It's a meal of fellowship where we are uh, united together as brothers and sisters in, in Christ and also uh, united together with Jesus as our head at the meal. But again, Jesus isn't actually physically uh, present. And also there's an emphasis on remembering Jesus' sacrifice and contemplating his grace. But it's not said that forgiveness of sins is actually delivered through the bread and wine. And this leads us then to the Lutheran view. And um, this is, again, where the Lutheran church is distinct um, from uh, many other churches. And so the Lutheran view then is that uh, you have um, Jesus' body and blood together with the bread and wine. Uh, and so what we're saying is, is that it is both bread and body and wine and blood at the same time. Um, as we talked about before, we call this a sacrament. Sacrament is the Latin word for mystery. And as we talked about baptism, uh, we can speak about the Lord's Supper. Uh, in baptism, we said that it's a mystery because we don't exactly know the how. I mean, we know the how in terms of how we are supposed to administer the sacrament and, you know, like what we're supposed to say and, um, you know, who we're supposed to give it to and how we're supposed to receive it and all that stuff. We know that how, but the how in terms of how does Jesus body and blood actually get to be present in and with bread and wine at the same time without completely transforming, um, the uh the elements of communion into something else um and so that's the mystery how does how does jesus get himself inside a wafer how does his blood find its way in and with the the wine in a way that we can't detect uh, it's the same thing with the water of baptism as i already mentioned um that the mystery of baptism is that we don't know how god is at work um in the uh or how God gets to be at work in regular, ordinary water, uh, how the Holy Spirit is working through, we, you know, but yet the, the Spirit is there. Um, and so we kind of live in a tension, and, and the Lutheran Church is famous for that, by the way. Uh, we, we're constantly putting things in tension. We teach that we are sinners and saints at the same time. Uh, we teach, along with many uh, Christian churches, in fact, you're not a Christian church if you don't teach this next thing, and that is we teach that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. So we hold this intention that 100% God, 100% man. Um, we also teach that uh, we, we balance law and gospel. Um, and so uh, we are, we're always holding things in tension um, in the Lutheran church. It's kind of what we're known for. It's what we do. Um, and a lot, of, um, a lot of the reason behind that is, uh, and it's something that we'll find in the Lord's Supper, is that there's only so far our reason can take us. There's only so far that our small brains can go. Uh, we know what we know from scripture and a lot of the rest is just mystery. So we just take God's word as he tells it to us in faith. And that by the way, is really how a lot of our view of the Lord's supper uh, comes to be. We just simply look at what Jesus tells us. We don't get too fancy. Uh, we also don't try to outthink ourselves. It's great. <laughs> and so it's wonderful for simple-minded folks like me. Uh, so um, anyhow, let's talk a little bit more um, about some of these views. So 
Uh, I'm going to focus most heavily on the memorial view. Uh, again, that was the one taught by Zwingli. That's the one that you'll find in Baptist churches. And the other one, the Calvinist view, uh, which is kind of here, there, and everywhere in Reformed churches. Um, and uh, that's the view that Jesus is spiritually present. Um, so again, a distinction between these two, uh, the memorial view is that Jesus is not present. It's just a reminder of, of his um, sacrifice on the cross. The spiritual view is, is that he is present, but not present in um, exactly the, the bread and wine in a way that we receive um, forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life from eating and drinking the bread and the wine. Um, so uh, as we look at this, uh, a couple of things. First of all, I would argue that both of these views uh, do present an imbalance. Um, and uh, again, it's not my goal to bash denominations or to uh, trash other views on the Lord's Supper, but uh, sometimes learning by contrast is important. And this is a, this is a doctrine that we hold to be highly important. So we also need to be warned where there might be errors. And so uh, I would say that uh, with this view, there's an emphasis and overemphasis on the divinity of God, and it's not balanced with an emphasis on the humanity of God. So uh, I would say, uh, especially when we look at the Calvinist view that, that, or the reform view that Jesus is spiritually present um, that really it has its roots more in philosophy than it does in scripture. The question is, how can the infinite God, the all-powerful God, um, you know, be confined to a wafer? Isn't God supposed to be present everywhere, right? So if he's present everywhere, how can he also be in one particular place? How can he be in the wafer? And how can he be uh, the little bread? And how can he be in the wine? Um, how can God confine himself, scale himself down somehow and still retain all of his attributes? And so, uh, again, that's a question that focuses on the uh, divinity of God. And I would say that, that some who um, believe that we just come forward to remember Jesus' sacrifice, um, the memorial view, um, that that's also at play there for them, too, that God is too infinite uh, too powerful, too majestic, too holy uh, to come into uh, something so ordinary as bread and wine. And while I would argue that it's good to be humble before God, I would also say, again, that this, this misses an important event in Scripture. Um, and this should be brought in into our interpretation of the Lord's Supper. And that is the incarnation. Jesus became human, Right. We teach that he also remained God, but he confined himself to Mary's womb. The infinite God confined himself to Mary's womb. Uh, he became uh, much, much, much smaller than a wafer um, in the first couple weeks of that first trimester for Mary. Um, and so uh, as he grew and developed in the womb, uh, he remained fully God and fully man. And he was that way all the way until his death. And uh, as I mentioned before in these lessons, uh, we believe that, that from a particular set of veins, um, particular blood flowed for the forgiveness of the world, or for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And that is the, the blood of Jesus. So, yeah, God uses means all the time, ordinary stuff. There was nothing more special about his anatomy and physiology than us. He was completely human, and yet God somehow put himself in human form, 
uh, and retained his divinity at the same time. And so also, uh, when we come to receive the Lord's Supper, uh, it is mind-boggling, it is difficult, it is confusing uh, to understand and to really try to dig into. Um, but basically, we're saying that God has once again um, made himself available to us in ordinary means. Uh, he alone has the power to do that. So um, let's take a look then at uh, the small catechism. So I'm going to share my screen uh, if you're watching on YouTube. And again, if you're not, if you're watching on the podcast, I'll make sure that um, uh, I call out the different things I'm looking at so that maybe you can open up a small catechism or your Bible and sort of follow along. So uh, Luther writes um, in the small catechism, what is the sacrament of the altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. Where is this written? Luther writes in the small catechism, the holy evangelist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul write our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All right. So um, as we look at these words, uh, we want to note, uh, first of all, and all different uh, uh, major beliefs about the Lord's Supper would agree with this, that... Um, that we should note that it's it's quoted in four different places in scripture. So uh, Luther notes that right away when he says, where is this written? He writes the Holy Evangelist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul. Uh, so four different times, these words are repeated, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ in the night when he was betrayed and so on. We should also note that in each of these four times, one little but very important word is mentioned. It's a very small word. Uh, it's almost as small as it can get. And that word is, is. That word is, is. I-S, is. And, and I bring that up because, again, um, as Lutherans, we, we understand the limits of our own reason. And we understand um, that when we're confronted with a mystery, we lean totally on the word of God. And we actually don't have to uh, ferret uh, out exactly how God is doing what. We need to simply believe what he tells us. And so uh, is is important because in all four places we have the words, this is my body, referring to the bread, clearly referring to the bread. And this cup is the New Testament in my blood. All right. And that, that word is that, that phrase is shaped a little bit differently, but is, is there. Um, and so um, this is the New Testament in my blood. So within my blood is a covenant of grace and mercy. Drink. And so uh, as, as we uh, look at the Lutheran view, we really don't need to go too far um, in finding different passages and collecting them all together. Um, Jesus writes it right here. Um, and again, I, I think when we come to Scripture, a rule of um, simplicity is important. What is the most simple explanation for what happened? Because that usually is the right one. 
right? Um, and so again, going back to baptism, we have Jesus saying, baptize all nations. And that's part of the reason, uh, we have other verses that we look to as well, but that's part of the reason why we baptize babies. Um, because to not include babies in all nations takes a whole lot um, more interpretive work than to just simply say, Jesus is saying, baptize everybody of any age. I mean, he says all nations, so all people everywhere. Um, and so we, we look at that simply. All right. Okay. We baptize. Um, and so it is here that we have takey. This is my body. And when Jesus is holding up that loaf, um, it is, um, uh, I think you have to do a lot of uh, interpretive acrobatics and you have to make a lot of moves um, to say that um, is, is really a symbolic word. And I know that the argument is uh, that, um, Jesus will also use the verb to be, which is, is, <laughs> um, remember to be is a rascally verb. And it's really hard to say this clearly without bringing up another visual about grammar, but, um, is, um, uh, is the verb is from the verb to be right. And so Jesus uses the verb to be in a lot of metaphorical ways. I am the door. Um, I am the vine. Am is another form of the word of the verb to be. Um, and so people will say, well, he uses the verb to be there in symbolic ways. Um, but in those cases, um, it is uh, obvious that he is speaking in metaphor. This is where we also look at context and say, you know what, that's metaphor. Um, in this case, Jesus is holding up a loaf in front of the disciples and he's saying, this, this is my body. Um, he's not saying this is like my body. And I remember having this conversation with somebody um, a few years ago. There was, um, I had a big discussion about the Lord's Supper and real presence. It was one of the times that the real presence of Jesus has gotten me in trouble. Um, it's not the only time. It's just one of the times. Uh, the stories I could tell. But anyway, um, I, was, I was speaking with somebody, a, a very mature Christian, um, one who I have great admiration and respect for. But he disagreed about uh, the Lord's Supper and the Real Presence, and he pulled out um, a commentary that was beautifully written describing um, how uh, this, again, is a participation uh, in, in the body of Christ. It's a fellowship meal uh, where Jesus is spiritually present. It was uh, a, a depiction of the Calvinist view, um, and it did pull in several scripture references, and the language was eloquent. And after hearing that, I didn't say this because I didn't want to make anything worse. Um, maybe I should have, I don't know. But after hearing that, I just remember thinking, that was great, but is does mean is. And I guess that's just where I land. <laughs> and so, um, again, as, as Lutherans, um, uh, we welcome all the simple-minded. Um, come be like us. Um, and so uh, we look at these words um, and we take them uh, as Jesus says them. That's not to say, however, that the meal isn't a meal of fellowship. Um, and we're going to talk about that a lot more. Um, but yes, definitely it is a meal of, of fellowship. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 17 reminds us that aren't we all one body and we all partake of one loaf. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 17 uh, that says we're one body and we partake of one loaf. So yeah, um, there's definitely this big aspect about fellowship um, with the Lord's Supper. And we would agree with that, but we would say even more that Jesus is physically present in the Lord's Supper. And so uh, Luther writes this in the large catechism. So I'll read that for us. It says, 
this treasure is conveyed and communicated to us in no other way than through the words given and poured out for you. Here you have both truths, that it is Christ's body and blood, and that these are yours as your treasure and gift. And so beyond all the theological infighting that happens within the church and the debates that have gone through centuries, uh, Luther would point us to this, that this is a treasure that is yours, uh, that it is his body and blood for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we're going to switch topics here and uh, look at remembrance. Um, And so, uh, again, many will emphasize the words, do this in remembrance of me. And those are important words, actually, that, that shape how we view uh, this statement from Jesus. And they should carry great weight. They should um, have a big theological impact as we consider the Lord's Supper. So um, uh, we're going to um, uh, take a look at, at what it means um, to have a biblical concept of remembering. And this is one of those things that, to be honest with you, I'm still a work in progress on because this word remembering is, or, or to remember uh, in the Old Testament is huge. Um, it really is. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of meaning behind it. And, and frankly, some of it is still, it's hard to describe. It's hard to like really get our minds around because um, we sometimes when you're studying the Bible, you really sense the cultural di- distance between you and another group of people um, and the way they hear words and the way we hear and interpret words. And remember is one of those. So for me, it's a work in progress. So I don't feel like I have everything quite down with this yet, but I'll share what I got so far. Um, first of all, when we come to the Lord's Supper, um, our emphasis, and I would argue that it's correct, is to uh, emphasize the word uh, of Jesus and his command. Um, again, the word is, this is my body. The command is, do this, right? Um, and so we, aren't, we know that we are to receive uh, the Lord's body and blood. All right. Um, And we know that his promise is attached to it. So the emphasis then is always more on what God does than what we do. And uh, we should take that into our thoughts about the word remember. Um, And so as we look at the word remember, uh, we should always remember that that we should always remember about remembering (laughs) that God um, is always the one who does most of the work. That's that actually is a background uh, thought, but it's a foundational thought about how we as Lutherans approach worship anyway. We call it divine service, where we're always emphasizing what God has done for us. Once again, going back to our talk about baptism, uh, there you can argue, well, don't I come forward and decide to be baptized? Um, yeah, sure. But how does that even compare to all the glorious and wonderful works that God does for you through baptism? Uh, therefore baptism is God's work and not yours. And so also the Lord's supper is God's work and not ours. So when we hear the word remembrance on me, um, we still may do this in remembrance of me. We still maintain a heavy emphasis on what God is doing, uh, through the sacrament for us. Okay. Um, so remembering when you, in the old Testament, when that word, remember was used um, oftentimes and I'm going to bring up some specific examples here but oftentimes that word 
uh, would indicate more than just nostalgia. The, it was a command to do more than just think back on a past event and, and go, ah, I remember that. Um, it was more than saying, don't forget, right? Um, if, you're, if your spouse gives you a grocery list and says, don't forget to pick up milk, you know, um, that's sort of remembering in our context. But in the uh, mind of the, of, of the ancient Hebrew people, remembering had a lot of depth to it, more than just recall information. Um, remembering um, um, is noting, yes, the activity of God um, in the past, but it also is a way of noting what God is doing in the present. And it is also a way of um, looking forward to what God will do in the future. So remembering is an activity that recalls, yes, what God has done in the past. It also uh, brings to mind what God is actively doing in the present. And it also brings to mind what God will do in the future. Um, so again, this kind of blows us away because remembering is always about the past in our minds, um, but not necessarily when it comes to the Bible. So uh, I'm going to share a couple of verses that might help explain what I'm trying to get at here. Who knows? <laughs> and so, but we'll give it a shot anyway. So we have Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So you see the big word there, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Once again, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. So this word, um, remember, uh, was a command to recall, yes, uh, that on the seventh day, God rested after he created everything um, there was. Uh, and so he rested on that day, and so also did Adam and Eve, and all of creation rested as well. Um, so yes, it's a it's a reminder about that first day. But then also, um, this memory or this reminding was meant to um, cause action in the present on the part of the people of Israel that that they would set aside um, all of their work for a day. Um, even to the point of not making any food at all. Um, and so when the sun went down on Friday, uh, rest came. Uh, and it was a day of prayers. It was a day of reading scriptures, but it wasn't a day of going out in the fields. It wasn't a day of, of construction or whatever kind of work there was. Um, it was um, basically reliving the first Sabbath day, or perhaps better put, bringing that first Sabbath day into the present bringing the first Sabbath day into the present. And then again, also by remembering the Sabbath day and by bringing the past, that first Sabbath day into the present, it was a pointer towards the day when God would give his people rest, full, complete, ultimate rest. Uh, and that would be the, on the day of the Lord. And we can look at another place. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. Oh, no, there's an ad blocking it. If you're on the podcast, you're spared of seeing all these ads. Good for you. But if you'd like to simplify data entry, I've got a link for you. Um, so Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. <laughs> and they don't even pay me to promote them. Um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. 
the Lord's Supper, or the, the Passover, I'm sorry, the Passover um, has many connections to the Lord's Supper. Unfortunately, we're not going to be diving into that a whole lot, but there are a lot of connections here. Um, and in fact, the Passover is a, what we would call a type of the Lord's Supper, uh, a person, an action, uh, an event, a thing uh, that uh, is fulfilled by Jesus in a much greater way. So there's a quick definition on a type. Anyway, so focusing on remembering, this shall be for you a memorial day. Again, that's Exodus 12, 14. And God uh, tells them exactly how they are to keep the feast forever and ever. Um, not just how they were to keep it while they were waiting to be rescued from Egypt at this time, but also how they were to do it again and again and again and again throughout the generations as a statute forever. That means that just as on the first night of the Passover, uh, the family uh, would gather together and eat lamb uh, roasted with bitter herbs. They would drink a lot of wine. Um, if you ever looked at how much wine they drank, um, that's really impressive. But anyway, <laughs> and so, um, you know, they would have the meal. They would sit uh, with their cloaks tucked in their belt, with their staff in their hand, even, even long past the actual day where they had to go somewhere after the Passover and flee Egypt, they still had um, to do that. Um, and so they kept it in just that exact way. Why? Well, one, it was a way of recalling the Lord's salvation in the past. But two, it also was a way of uh, bringing that past day into the present and noting how God is saving them always. And then finally, of course, um, it is a reminder um, that in this world, they are not um, completely settled yet, and they won't be until the Messiah comes. So remembering is looking at the past and it's bringing that past into the present, and it's looking at the present and being reminded of what God will do in the future. And so when Jesus in the Lord's Supper says, do this in remembrance of me, what are we doing? Well, I say the words just exactly as Jesus said them uh, at, at the Last Supper, on that last night before he was arrested. Um, and we gather together. Um, and eat and drink as the disciples did, um, coming forward to the, to the rail to receive his body and blood. Um, why? Well, one, because we do, in fact, remember Jesus' sacrifice. And that's actually what we should be reflecting on as we go forward to the rail. But also, also, Jesus is bringing that night into our present. That past night is coming into our present, that uh, the Lord... Uh, who instituted uh, these words, is present with us. Um, and we are gathered together, um, uh, again, just as his disciples were, to receive the gifts that his disciples also received in the same way. Um, and then again, also, um, that this feast is a reminder of what God will do in the future, that uh, we will one day be sat down uh, to a feast of uh, the best wines and the best meats, um, uh, and uh, we will uh, enjoy that feast forever and ever. And so, um, again, as we come forward to the Lord's Supper, um, we remember what he said. We do this in remembrance of him. But we're not commemorating a God who is dead. We're not commemorating um, a Jesus who is only interested in acting in the world at one point in time, centuries ago, but the living God. Um, and so uh, we, we acknowledge God's presence among us, uh, remembering that he said he'd be present with us. 
Um, and so, okay. So uh, let's take a look at another topic here real quick. Um, closed communion. All right. Um, and this is exactly why the Lord's Supper has gotten me in trouble um, so many times, uh, like any good Lutheran pastor. Um, so, uh, and by the way, I'm going to pause. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you're watching with us this evening, say hello in the comments section. Um, and you can do so over the podcast as well as you listen to that. Um, so anyhow, closed communion. Um, we have uh, this teaching that strikes us as strange for a number of reasons. One is our world just flat does not like to hear the word no. No is condemning. No is unloving. We interpret no um, in, in just about every hurtful way imaginable, and we hardly ever view a no as a good thing, um, unless, of course, we heard a no a long time ago and we finally realized the purpose behind the no. But if you hear a no in the moment, um, most likely you will reject it. And so we're in a tough spot sometimes because um, keeping doctrinal unity, uh, keeping true fellowship means sometimes saying no. Um, and that is not always well received. <laughs> And um, I think a lot of a lot of times misunderstandings happen um, that are completely explainable. Um, if you uh, have been raised in, in a church um, that uh, taught you that, that communion should always be open and that anybody can come forward and receive it, and that's the only doctrine of the Lord's Supper you know, yikes. I mean, that is a hard word to hear, right? Um, because you've been taught also um, other things about how important this this uh, gift is, uh, you know, and and you've practiced it, and um, it's been a thing for you that that you've always seen it as open, and then all of a sudden you hear a shocking statement when you visit, uh, you know, perhaps a Lutheran church one day, and you hear the word, uh, you know, that today we ask you to refrain if you don't believe in the real presence of Jesus. Wow. Um, Okay, you know, and so um, it's not something that we should ever treat without empathy or understanding. Um, and it's it, we should recognize that it is a hard word um, to hear. Um, and so we shouldn't be brutes about this um, or, or stuck up in our theology. Um, so uh, but why then would, would we say closed communion? Um, well, again... Um, we're pursuing true fellowship, um, true unity around God's word. And um, in order to do that, we need to have a common teaching, a common understanding about the Lord's Supper. And that's not just a, a vision or a goal made by man, but we are called to be one. Uh, those are Christ's words, um, that we are to be one, just as he and the Father are one. So then, um, as we look at uh, communion and consider its uh, uh, consider its implications. We uh, believe that we need to be instructed in exactly what it is that we are receiving. Again, I realize this probably won't land with a lot of people, but in my mind, in my strange way of thinking, I guess I would say that if I came into the presence of my Lord and Savior Jesus, and nobody told me that I was actually in His presence for real. I'd be really upset. <laughs> I would be offended. Um, also, we don't want to offend the body, that um, one might be able to impose their beliefs over the unity and fellowship that we share uh, as a church. And so, again, that one really doesn't land well, right? Um, and so, 
Um, but yet still, I, I think it's a reality that we would do well to contemplate. Um, and so, uh, yes, we do in fact teach that one ought to be instructed in the Lord's Supper. But, but here's my, my take on that. Um, I, I believe that, that whenever we're talking with somebody and advising them and counseling them to not take the Lord's Supper because they don't share the same understanding we do about it, it should always come with invitation. Um, that the no shouldn't really actually be a no. Um, it should be a not yet. Um, and again, that's that's maybe slightly less offensive to some, but there's only so much I can do with this. Um, truth is truth. Um, and so, um, so it should be then, you know, that come to class um, and, and can we can we share with you what we believe about the Lord's Supper? Uh, we would love to do that. You're not forced to, to agree with us, but you can give us a chance to just share what, what we believe uh, before you come forward and receive it. Um, we want to make sure that, that we're all in agreement in faith here, and that's really important to us. It's a value we have. Um, and so uh, can you help us maintain that value by maybe holding off uh, on the Lord's Supper uh, for now and coming and learning about it? And then, and then once you've learned what we believe, if you agree with that, um, we would be so thrilled to have you at the Lord's table. Literally, very thrilled. It's, it's always a joy when fellowship grows. And it's not a thing of judgment or condemnation. Um, but again, it's about walking in step with one another. Um, and so, uh, anyhow. Uh, but there's another reason why, why we would, um, or another aspect of um, not always admitting everybody and anybody to the altar. And Luther writes about it in the large catechism. He says, for this reason, we must make a distinction among men. Those who are shameless and unruly must be told to stay away for that. They are not fit to receive the forgiveness of sins and they do not desire it and do not want to be good. The others who are not so callous and dissolute who would like to be good should not absent themselves. Even though in other respects, they are weak and frail. As St. Hilary has said, unless a man has committed such a sin that he has forfeited the name of Christian and has to be expelled from the congregation, he should not exclude himself from the sacrament, lest he deprive himself of life. And uh, so, you know, another reason why um, um, uh, the Lord's Supper is, uh, uh, is, is something that we, that we actually do sort of you know, it's, it's been described as putting a fence around. It's to say simply that um, we want you um, to uh, to come forward in repentance. We definitely don't want you to abuse God's grace. We don't want you to come forward um, even unintentionally without um, uh, an arrogance, you know, um, towards the gospel. Um, and so we all um, are under that same... Um, under that same, you know, rule, I guess. Uh, so uh, Luther is saying that, that for the person who is unrepentant and just obstinate saying, you know what, I'm going to live my life and do whatever I want. Now give me that communion, please. Um, you know, uh, and, and uh, that actually doubles their sin. So to say you need to, you need to repent, you need to think about what you're doing um, before you receive the Lord's Supper again is actually a way of saying, look, brother, I, you're, you're in a dangerous spot. And, I'm here for you and I'm going to help you and we're going to talk about this and I am not shutting you out of my life, but I also don't want you to sin against the body and blood of the Lord as well as sinning um, the way that you're currently sinning. Um, I don't want you to, to, 
double down on on uh, on judgment. Uh, I'm going to keep that, or you know, help keep you from that as much as I possibly can. Um, and again, no is never a popular word, but um, true love does say no sometimes. It it does. And and when we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, again, we, we we have to be willing sometimes to say that kind of thing. Nobody loves that conversation. I have never loved that conversation. It makes my stomach sick. Um, and uh, I hate having it. Um, but at the same time, uh, sometimes it's what we have to do if we really are going to say that we love one another. Um, all right. Uh, so, and, and then also I'll just bring into account here Matthew 18. Matthew 18, uh, again, is a powerful demonstration of how it is possible uh, to sin against God's grace and how uh, we can increase God's judgment uh, against us by abusing uh, his gifts. So there's that parable of the unforgiving uh, unforgiving servant. Um, he has a great debt forgiven, and then he goes and beats up somebody who uh, owes him a penny, basically, and refuses to forgive that person, even though he himself was forgiven a lot. Um, all right. Uh, so, uh, James, I hear you, or I, I read you. I don't hear you. No, I don't. Okay. All right. So James uh, writes, you know, um, um, why are you taking the Lord's Supper if, if you don't believe? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, we come forward wanting to receive, you know, his body and blood in, in faith. You know, again, this is our common confession. Um, and so good. Thanks. Um, and so again, if you're watching this, please check in or ask a question along the way. I'm highly distractible. I'm open to questions. Um, <laughs> and so, um, Another thing, let's say you feel really miserable. Let's say you really do feel the weight of your sin. So now we're going to the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, and I realize this is my longest lesson yet. Um, bear with me. Um, there's a lot to cover here, but it's important. Um, so let's go to the other side of the spectrum. Jeez, or, um, Jesus, um, let's go to the other side where basically you are, um, uh, you are really feeling the weight uh, of your sin. You feel totally guilty and in every way unworthy. Um, in the Lutheran church, we would tell you that that is exactly when you are the most worthy. Um, when you feel burdened in your conscience, when you know the hurts that you've caused yourself and other people full well, and you recognize that um, uh, that you have failed many ways in this life, and you're carrying all that, that is the great. That is the best time. <laughs> and so, come forward because Jesus says these two words for you. Um, Jesus knew exactly what kind of people would be coming up there, taking his body and blood. And he loved to say that he'll be there and he is there um, for the sinner, for the person who just feels so broken that day. Um, so that's exactly when you should come. Let's move to another area, sort of in between, in between the person who is uh, just absolutely um, arrogant in their sin and saying, yeah, uh, I don't need to change anything. I'm perfect. Give me that supper. And the person over here that's like, I don't even know if I should even be in church this morning. Um, you know, uh, I am the most unworthy. And the middle is uh, where perhaps we live most of our lives. Um, and that is, is that we maybe kind of feel a little unburdened. Um, we, we recognize our sin and there are things that, yeah, we feel bad about, but um, we're not exactly coming brokenhearted. We're not coming... Um, you know, uh, weeping and, and, you know, crawling on our knees in the church that morning, you know, so it's just kind of a normal day. Well, Luther says this, uh, again, this is the large catechism. Uh, this is where he talks about uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, 
And it says, suppose you say, what shall I do if I cannot feel this need or experience hunger and thirst for the sacrament? Answers for, or answer, for persons in such a state of mind, but they cannot feel it, I know, excuse me, I know no better advice than to suggest that they put their hands to their bosom and ask whether they are made of flesh and blood. If you find that you are, then for your own good, turn to St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians and hear what the fruits of the flesh are. What are the fruits of the flesh? The works of the flesh are plain, adultery, immorality, impurity, licentiousness, great word, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, another good one, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. <laughs> and so um, I don't know what party spirit is, but I'm curious. <laughs> and so anyhow, he's saying basically if you are human, um, then all of the works, uh, all of the commandments um, uh, are, are things that you've broken. You know, everything that Paul condemns um, are things that he is condemning in you. Uh, so recognize that, one, uh, even if you're not feeling the most brokenhearted, um, that we need to reserve some time to, to acknowledge our, our, our own sin as we are coming forward uh, to receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, the good news is that, again, God isn't always taking a measuring stick to our emotions. In fact, our emotions might be one of the things that he cares the least about, at least in this sense. Um, he's looking more at our faith than um, the amount of sorrow that we feel. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by the number of tears that we cry over our sin. I'm not saying that we need to be arrogant or I'm not teaching against humility by any stretch, but I'm just saying that um, we don't have to constantly measure our sorrow. That's another gift of the gospel that we actually have the full and free forgiveness of our sins. And we are invited to come forward and receive that full and free forgiveness. Um, living in repentance isn't always, um, isn't always uh, a, a big uh, emotional thing. Um, another reason why, why uh, it's great to be Lutheran. If you're like me, you're like, what is this emotion? Um, I'm usually just like hungry. That's the one I feel the most. Uh, <laughs> and so, all right. Uh, and, and James wrote again, I, I feel that I get a little numb uh, to some sin and I'm trying to work on myself. Um, yeah. Uh, the sin is bad and I need to become clean again. Well, James, uh, great comment. That actually leads us to this next part. Um, the last part, how to prepare for receiving the Lord's supper. Um, there's a great list of questions in our hymnal. Um, that uh, is from Luther. Uh, if you find the small catechism uh, in the hymnal, which is there, it's printed there. Um, there's this list of questions about um, that you can ask yourself before going to receive the Lord's Supper. Um, and that is that, um, you know, it kind of walks you through the Ten Commandments. It asks you, you know, how you've been in your different roles in life, you know, as a, as a mother or father, or as an employee or boss or manager, you know, and it's, you know, it says contemplate these things. Um, and so, uh, you know, so again, there, there's a great thing. I would also say this, that one, this is the feast of victory of our Lord, right? Sometimes we sing that, um, uh, we haven't sung it very often of late, but, uh, that's, uh, that's a song that we sing in our liturgy as we prepare to receive communion. Uh, but those words, this is the feast of, of the victory of our Lord, um, is a reminder to us that this is the high point, um, of the Christian weekly cycle, right? And so we leave being sent out into the world with God's blessing after church is over, but also 
when we leave, we are to the task of preparing our hearts again for worship. Um, and so, uh, so it kind of works in, in that way too. So every day then is another step in preparing for communion. Um, so it's a Wednesday. Um, and so a few more days, right. Until we get to be in the presence of our Lord and receive that full free forgiveness of sins, life and salvation and how wonderful that really is. And so I would say also, you know, taking time throughout the week to prepare our hearts. And that's not always a sorrowful activity. Um, sometimes, and a lot of times, it should be a joyous one. Um, that, man, I, I'm, I'm a part of this covenant. I'm a part of this promise uh, that I get to go forward. And Jesus comes right here. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm holding up my hand. <laughs> and so uh, the Jesus comes right here. And uh, you, you eat and, and, and drink of his real presence, his very body and blood for you. And, and so then preparing for the Lord's Supper isn't always a work of sorrow. And certainly that's, that's a part of it. it, it being, living in a repentant state um, is a major aspect of the Christian faith, but it's not the only aspect. Um, and so uh, I would just kind of throw those things that, you know, kind of working through some questions, um, you know, when you go um, to have, you know, a surgery or something, um, it, you may not be terrified. There are certain cases where sometimes a person may not be terrified, yet they know that something needs to be corrected in their body. And so they submit to that surgery. Um, likewise, in repentance, again, I might not, might not always be brokenhearted um, over my sin. Um, sometimes I'm dealing with small things. Um, but still, even there, I know what I need to do. And I know that I cannot afford to let myself be arrogant about them. So whether my heart is broken or not, um, I still come forward and I say, Lord, um, forgive me, uh, forgive me, you know, that I am so obstinate that I cannot, uh, see the greatness of this sin. Um, you know, it was a sin that you had to die for as well. And also Lord, um, thank you for that forgiveness, um, that you have offered me. Um, and so anyhow, um, hopefully that, uh, that helps. Uh, so if you have any questions, uh, again, uh, put them in the comment section. I'll, I'll check that out, um, after this video is posted. And also again, I'll check out the podcast. Uh, thank you again. Um, uh, for next week, um, I'm not sure. Uh, we finished the, the small catechism. Um, if you have any thoughts or topics or suggestions, uh, let me know. We'll be in touch. All right. Uh, and with that, once again, God's blessings. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, hope you have a great week.